up world. It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Who's listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. We got a packed show for you today. If you listen to Friday's show, I joked that it was a short shelf life episode. Uh, at that point, the Blazers had traded for Ennis Cantor and re-signed forward Rodney Hood. A couple hours after I published that one, they added Derek Jones Jr. They added Carmelo Anthony. They signed Harry Giles. More movements on the way as the Blazers have seemingly completed their full roster. If I, if I had to guess, this is what they're going to look like. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the three new additions. Carmelo's an old addition, but he was newly added want to talk about where the roster stands now with with those three new moves and then just to close out the show overview thoughts on what this all means and where the Blazers stand heading into the 2021 season so that's what we'll do let's break it down talking about the deals we'll do them in chronological order in the way they came in I realize that for many of you you may be just jumping on board to uh, locked on Blazers as the season ramps back up welcome we're very, very happy to have you. We do things here in three parts. It's the only Blazers podcast on the internet that comes at you three to four times a week. I think that's true. I'm not 100% sure. But it's definitely the only podcast featuring your boy, Mike G. Rich. And regardless, I'm happy to have all of you listeners back in action because the season's happening. The Blazers are getting fun. Fun time. So let's let's go through the transactions here in this first segment, how they went down in order. The first one was Derek Jones Jr., who signed a two-year $19 million contract using a portion of the Blazers' mid-level exception. We talked about this in Friday's show when after the Blazers signed Cantor and or traded for Cantor and signed Rodney Hood, was that the Blazers had left themselves with flexibility to to make other moves, and the other moves were Derek Jones Jr., a rangy forward type. I think he's best as a four just because he can't really shoot, um, but he can play the three. I think he can—he's really long, and, and and from just from the little I've watched him with the Heat, I think he guards guards really well. Um He's not a, an elite pick-and-roll defender, but he, he's he got length to be um, someone who can pick up at the point of attack and play defense against uh, high-level players in the league. I think he's a, I think he's an obvious upgrade, but he's probably not a big-minute player for the Blazers, even with this contract. Last year with the Heat, if you're just checking in on the resume, he averaged 8.5 points, a career high, 3.9 rebounds. The big question with him is the shooting. He shot 28% from three last year. He's made huge strides since coming into the league with kind of just a, as like a raw athletic all arms and legs, rangy player for the Phoenix Suns. He's turned into a, a pretty solid regular season rotation player with the Heat. He didn't play much when the se- when the season got super important heading into the NBA Finals, but he's still young enough that he can grow. Uh, I, I like this signing overall for the Blazers. I think this is, uh, for the money, I probably have, would have personally rather had Jay Crowder but Derek Jones Jr. undeniably has more upside. Jay Crowder is who he is. Derek Jones Jr. could conceivably get much better. After the Blazers made that deal, two for 19 with Derek Jones Jr., they signed Carmelo Anthony back. A one-year veteran minimum for Melo. This was the big question is how much would Melo command on the open market or how much would he want? And to me, this says he chose Portland because he likes the situation. I'm not convinced that Carmelo Anthony could have gone out and got... Um, a whole bunch more money. You know, his minimum veteran minimum contract's like two and a half million dollars. So if he goes gets the biannual exception from someone, you're talking three and a half million. I think that is about probably what his his absolute absolute ceiling was. But Melo wanted 
specifics. He wanted a good situation, a situation where he felt like he understood his role, understood the franchise, got along with the franchise's best player. Him and Dame have a great relationship. Uh, I think he really trusts the front office. The question is, what is Carmelo Anthony's role? That was the other one. It was how much money he's going to make and what his what might his role be. And the Blazers are like he played 33 minutes a year and was their starting 33 minutes a night and was their starting power forward when he signed. And that was because they desperately needed him. They're, when Melo signed, just health wise, the Blazers' best power forward in the roster was Nazir Little. Nazir's not going to play this year. He's been buried on the depth chart because the Blazers have added, added much better players. So. And that means, in addition, that Mello is is probably not as good as the other players. Like, he's definitely not as good as Robert Covington, who should start at power forward. He is debatably more effective than Derek Jones Jr. Very different players. You know, Mello all offense, Derek Jones mostly defense. Uh, Mello's almost certainly a four, and the Blazers don't have a ton of depth at straight up power forward. So there's definitely minutes for him to play. It's just, will he be comfortable when all things are said and done of being a backup? I think this deal suggests optically that he understands that he'll be a backup and he understands what he'll have a reduced role and that he's ready and he accepts all those things, but accepting them in the off season, I was going to say July, but that's not what it is. Accepting them in November uh, and actually having that play out functionally in December are very different things. Like that's it's uh, w- that is a big thing to watch with Carmelo because I think he can say the right things, but is he? He's ne- you know he's played 17 seasons in the league. He's never been a bench player. Is he ready? Is he ready to take on that role? That's the big question. So that's deal number two since the last episode. Deal number three, the Blazers added. Center Harry Giles to the roster, a one-year minimum deal for the former first-round pick in the 2017 draft out of Duke. I will not hold him going to the wrong college against him. In fact, when I was making a list of like minimum centers that the Blazers should like conceivably take a flyer on, Giles was on my list. Uh, I didn't shout him to the rooftops because I kept shouting the name John Henson, who went to Carolina. Um, perhaps my biases are showing... But also, I didn't mention Giles because he comes with real risks. Giles is 22 years old. He's t- he played 46 games for the Kings last year, seven, including 17 starts. He averaged 6.9 points and 4.1 rebounds. And his assist numbers don't show it. You know, one and a half assists a game in each of his first two NBA seasons. But he's a really, really good passer. Um, if, if he gets on the court, which is a big if, um, I think he's more of an insurance policy. But if he gets on the court, he's going to show you that he has some real playmaking skills. He's fun. Um, I think uh, with the additions of guys who are better cutters than the Blazers have had in the past, like Derek Jones Jr. and uh, Robert Covington, conceivably the passing ability of Giles could be on display if he gets on the court. But will he get on the court? That's a big question mark. The, the, the big question marks with Giles are his health. He had two knee surgeries prior to joining the NBA, played very sparingly in his lone season at Duke, and then he came out uh, in the 2017 draft and he missed his entire first year with a knee issue. So he he didn't play in all in 2017-2018 season. He made his debut the following year in 2018, and then after uh, two playing seasons, but three three seasons with him, the Kings declined to pick up his fourth year option. Now the Kings are a poorly run franchise. So what they do with players is maybe not a very good judge of, um, of, of sort of a guy's prospects. In fact, it was just a colossal screw up to not pick up Giles option. There's no reason that the Kings should not have done that. They could, um, he could, they could have traded him. They could have, he would have been inexpensive there. There's just, it's it's an unforgivable mistake straight up. But, um, 
a guy with major knee problems who has missed time uh, is a is a risk. But I do I like his skill set. I think he's you know he's a really 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 high level high school basketball player. Um, even though he went to the wrong college, but uh, he's he has the potential to turn into an NBA starter. Certainly. Um, it's just, will he get there? And I don't think on this particular roster, he's anything more than insurance policy. But if you were, if you were picking insurance policies, he's among the most skilled. Um, you know, he's, he's 6'11", 245. Like he's, he's, He's big. He's athletic. I think he can play a little bit of power forward, even though I think he's truly a center. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm down with this Giles edition. I like all of the moves the Blazers made. I don't think they made a single bad move. I didn't love Derek Jones Jr., but I don't dislike it. He was a name that was certainly on my list of of players. Um, they didn't they didn't give him a whole ton of money in a long term deal. They gave him sort of just amount of money that if he's good he'll leave. Um, so yeah, I, I think all of these moves improve the roster. I think the Blazers are unquestionably better. They address some weaknesses where they spent all of last season having no forwards. Now they seem to have a glut of forwards. So I think this was an overall a good offseason. What I want to talk about in the second segment and then going on into the third is what's next for the Blazers. Where they stand now, roster-wise, depth chart-wise, financially, and then we'll close out the show with some uh, stray thoughts on on how I think the Blazers stack up in the Western Conference. But before we get to that second segment, before we get to where the Blazers stand now, I want to tell y'all about Bilt Bar. You know Bilt Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's what they're doing. They're making a delicious protein bar. Comes in 18 amazing flavors, all of which are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got the candy bar-like texture. Bilt Bars just taste really good. The, the people at Bill Bar, they, they got into the lab, they conducted their experiments, and they came away with a delicious protein bar. But if the deliciousness doesn't sell you, what about the nutritiousness? They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Take a personal favorite of mine, the peanut butter flavor. 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, just 5 grams of sugar, and 5 net carbs. It's a pretty good deal, and it tastes great, too. So get your hands on some of these bars. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use a promo code locked on. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's a promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right. So we talked about the Blazers' three newest additions Derek Jones Jr., Carmelo Anthony, and Harry Giles. If you missed me discussing the Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood signings, I did so Friday afternoon. It's in your feed, labeled as such, Cantor and Rodney Hood. So I, I've addressed all five of the Blazers' moves. Uh, we just did them in chronological order, and I wanted to squeeze that one in before the weekend because you knew it was going to be a busy weekend, and indeed it was. So I would say the Blazers are done dealing. I was a little bit nervous in recording this podcast because maybe they aren't, but I just, in preparing for this, I can't imagine. I Actually, there is a scenario where they're not done dealing. We'll address, address that shortly, but I think this roster is complete. So where do they stand? My projected starting lineup, day one, because all y'all are going to ask me, so I might as well get it out of the way here first. Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic. That means off the bench, you've got Gary Trent Jr. playing two in the three. Derek Jones Jr. probably playing mostly three if he's going to get playing time. Carmelo Anthony at the four. Ennis Cantor at the five. If the Blazers go 10 deep, I'm under the impression that Anthony Simons would be number 10. 
That's on night one because I don't think Nazir Little is part of the plan. I don't think CJ Ellaby is part of the plan. Zach Collins, I do not believe will be ready in 2020. I don't think he'll be ready on opening night. And I think he's, he's more like availability towards the end of January based on what he projected back in August in an interview with Jason Quick of The Athletic. But that leaves you with 14 players on the roster. Dame, CJ, Rodney, Covington, Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Derek Jones Jr., Carmelo Anthony, Ennis Cantor, Nazir Little, Zach Collins, CJ Ellaby, and, G- and Harry Giles. Probably should have read Ellaby's name last, but that's not the order I wrote him down in. That's your 14 players. That's assuming that Ellaby signs a minimum contract. And if he does sign a min- minimum contract, the Blazers are just a smidge below the luxury tax line. That means they will not be a tax team. Maybe not important to you if you care about, if you're like me and don't care about uh, billionaires' finances, but avoiding the repeater tax by being below the tax line this season allows them when they are definitely a tax team in the future to make moves without um, having it be as punitive. And if maybe a ownership would be worrying about the punitive uh, penalties, punitive taxes in the future, it's good to get out of it now. So I think staying below the tax line is important if you're thinking about the future of the Blazers, but personally, I'm not too worried about the Allen Estates cash flow right now. With 14 players, assuming Ellaby is on a minimum deal, I think the Blazers are done dealing. I think the Blazers go into the regular season without 15 guys in the roster. I think they open up a roster spot. Still give them a chance to have two two-way players. Uh, two-way has changed a little bit this season. As opposed to 45 days, you're allowed to play 50 games. I think two-way, two-way contracts are much more valuable. I would really like to see the Blazers bring back... Uh, Jalen Horde on a two-way contract. I think that dude's an NBA player, and if you can get him on a two-way deal, keep him in the sort of developmental pipeline, then it, it's it has real value. Um, he's he's big and skilled, and I, I don't think he's like a contributor to a high-level basketball team right now. But on a two-way deal, I would love to have Jordan Jalen Horde back in terms of building a competitive roster. What them what this team being done dealing means that Hassan Whiteside. It was a fun and mostly bad experiment, and it wasn't also it wasn't fun. That's also the wrong word. It was just an experiment that um, ha- included a lot of statistics. He, the Blazers were a horrific defensive team. They were a horrific rebounding team. Not all of that was Hassan Whiteside's fault. But if you're not part of the solution, and the team's got a lot of problems, it means they might move on from you. Um, Hassan really good at social media. So even if he joins another team, you should probably still follow him on Instagram because he's goofy. It also means when Gabriel's gone. Uh, I think people around the league, like f- just sort of like reading fan fan tweets and stuff like this, I think there was more of an assumption that Wenyan Gabriel would be back. I, I wasn't really operating under that assumption, but I think Harry Giles um, it takes over that sort of developmental big end of the bench spot that was going to be Gabriel's. If you were going to add another player, you it would be a guard, right? It wouldn't be if you just look at the roster. They've got, um, you know, seven dudes who are forwards, and that's maybe eight. Seven dudes who are power forwards and centers, and eight if you include Derek Jones Jr. in that list. So Whiteside's gone, Wenyon's gone. The Blazers are probably going to carry an open roster spot. Uh, Neil will say that it's for flexibility purposes, but I'm going to guess it's because they don't want to be a tax team. Um, they could sign a minimum contract and be below the tax line. Like they, that they, there is still a needle to thread where they could, where they could add a minimum player and end up, um, and not end up a tax team. But it's a tough needle to thread and it's somewhat dependent on Ellaby's situation. If Ellaby signs a two-way contract, then I think you, then they, I think they will end up with 14. You know, they're not going to um, take an open roster penalty into this year. And if they do, 
depending on what happens with LB's contract, we'll, we'll hopefully know in the next couple days, and then we'll discuss it here in this very space, is that the Blazers would add a backup point guard. I was, um, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I mean, I am tooting it a little bit, but I was under the impression that the Blazers would not add a veteran backup point guard, even though like smart people um, in the sports media world, Kevin Pelton, uh, John Hollinger, Ben Golliver, people I talked to, all thought it was the right idea. And Here's the thing. They're probably right. I was just thinking that the Blazers, based on how they operate, would not go that route. And the reason that I was thinking that is because, one, the team believes so heavily in Anthony Simons that they're just, they're not, they're not going to cut bait yet. And two, they've been comfortable. They didn't do it right away from the jump last year. They tried to sit Damon CJ at the same time, but then they went back to what sort of has been the bread and butter for um, the post-Lamarcus era CJ McCollum, which is taking him out early in the first quarter and then so he can come back and run the second unit as the de facto backup point guard. Now, if you can coax more point guardiness out of CJ, I think that's an okay solution. It certainly is a solution that gets your best players on the court, um, even though it may not be the solution that gets less minutes for Damon CJ and, and preserves them for a deep playoff run. But you got to win in the regular season in order to give yourself a chance in the deep playoff at a deep playoff run and I think that's the direction the Blazers are going to head they didn't add a point guard so it's going to be Ant it'll there's there's some pressure on Ant we'll talk about that in the third segment and it's going to be CJ those are your two backup point guards um conceivably there is there is a there is a path forward where the Blazers do end up with um with a, a veteran point guard, but I think it's very unlikely. I think the roster we have discussed on today's podcast is the roster that begins day one December 22nd, when the season opens to begin this year. All right, in the third segment, I want to hit you with some more stray thoughts. There's some um, things about this roster construction that I think tell us a little bit more about this team, and I want to talk about where they stack up in the West. The Blazers got better, but how much better did they get? That's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. We're still talking about the Portland's offseason. This team got better. They addressed some issues. They had no forwards. They basically just didn't have small forwards and power forwards on the roster. Now they've got a glut of them. They got better defensively. Robert Covington is going to improve this team's defense as, as an excellent team defender. Derek Jones Jr. profiles as someone who could turn into a really high-level defender on the wing. He's not quite there yet, but he has the tools. He's got the length, the interest in playing defense, and the skill set to be a to be a high-level defensive player. They address their desperate need for depth in the front court by bringing back Ennis Cantor. Carmelo Anthony was a really reliable clutch time scorer when they needed him in the bubble. That type of big shot-making ability still has real value. And they didn't give up any of the parts that you like. Damon and CJ are on the roster. Nurk should be back and healthy. Gary Trent Jr. in line for big minutes still around. Overall, I love the aggressiveness. This was probably as aggressive as sort of Neil is capable of being. And by that, I don't mean to say that he never makes moves. I'm just saying he 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 is locked into a certain core group of players. Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, and Nurk were not going anywhere. I don't think those players were necessarily discussed as as trades at any point. I mean, certainly not the big three. Um, and I'd be surprised, no one's trading for Rodney Hood and I'd be surprised if Zach's name came up. Like Nurk, Nurk, Neil was locked in to those dudes. That's, he was, he was building the roster with them in mind. They weren't under consideration for being moved. So considering that he wasn't going to trade any of his good players, the Blazers did a really good job of improving. I applaud the aggressiveness. This was probably as uh, as aggressive as, as Neil was willing to go. And considering the parameters 
placed on himself either by his own personal preferences or, or some other factors, he did a great job. But the way this roster is constructed signals two big things to me. One, it signals that maybe Zach Collins is, maybe the Blazers have some questions about Zach Collins' health. And they added a lot of guys who could play in his stead. Cantor immediately going to eat, eat into his minutes at the backup five. Um, Cantor's going to play. So even when Zach's healthy, where does he fit? They added, they brought back Carmelo Anthony. If they wanted to play Zach at backup four or start him at four with, um, like they had planned to last season, Carmelo Anthony eats into those minutes, and it's hard to say that Melo's going to play none. You know, if he's coming back, I assume that they said you're going to have a, a reduced role. You know, not going to play 33 minutes a night as a starter, but you're going to play. So adding Melo back eats into Zach's potential minutes. Adding Harry Giles seems to add um, insurance, even though he's an oft-injured big too, um, who was uh, coincidentally traded for Zach Collins. His rights traded for Zach Collins on draft night. But uh, adding Harry Giles seems to add some insurance in case Zach isn't ready. Um Having Hood and Derek Jones Jr., two guys who can play the four, bolsters up that front court a little bit. My part of me is somewhat concerned for just for, for the warm fuzzies of the roster that's that players are some players are going to play none on some nights, and that's going to be hard. Um, it's gonna Terry Shots gonna have to make hard decisions. He has gone 11 deep on, on deep rosters in the past, but even that is weird, and uh, it took choosing most nights between Mo Harkless or Gerald Henderson, which neither player was particularly happy with having to be, who am I going to play or not, depending on the matchup. Not easy for NBA guys. They want to have defined roles. Uh, I think the like sitting and watching candidates guaranteed are only Ellaby and, and Nazir Little and almost certainly Harry Giles. But that leaves you with 11 dudes on the roster who want to play each night when Zach Collins is healthy. So it that becomes a crunch. However, like I was been saying, I think they built this roster knowing that Zach Collins' health is iffy. Um, not saying that they think he's going to be out longer than January, but just knowing that he's had a record of, had a track record of being injured. So let's as opposed to last year when they built a roster that demanded Zach Collins play 36 minutes a night. Now they've built a roster that says we can survive even if Zach Collins cannot play. The other thing this roster signals to me is there's still a lot of pressure on Anthony, Anthony Simons. Ant has been, has they didn't bring in the backup point guard to compete with him. They didn't um, add any guards to compete with him. I mean, they added CJ Allaby, but he's not going to play. But they still just have sort of four guards on the lineup, five if you play Rodney Hood at the two, which he's definitely capable of playing. Um, so there's their Ant is not guaranteed playing time each and every night, but the who can play backup point guard question is only too deep. CJ McCollum and Anthony Simons, still a lot of pressure on Simons to be a facilitator, ball handler, scorer type off, off the bench. Maybe not score as much, but that's what he's best at. So no, maybe now you're asking him to be, um, to be sort of a ball handler table setter, which is not necessarily a skill set. And they didn't address that glaring weakness they had on, on the roster last year. I think there's, there's hope, like the team really believes in him, and guys, you know, Evan Turner told me unequivocally that Ant's going to be a star, so, you know, maybe maybe E.T.'s right, I think Neil thinks that too, um, they are still banking on it, the Blazers have, the Blazers are still banking on on Ant uh, taking that step, 
team's got track record of guys being taken a big step in year three and didn't do it in year two, but that doesn't suggest that he can't do it in year three. But I, I, I think that's a clear weakness of this roster unless he takes a big step. And then all of a sudden you've got even a, a trickier numbers crunch into who plays and when. Finally, this is a top five team in the West. If they're healthy, this is a team that competes for home court advantage. Without a doubt. Uh, I thought that was kind of their ceiling last year, but now I think their their ceiling this year is probably like the second best team in the West. Um, you know, if everything breaks their way, they could win the West or whatever, but I don't think they're as good as the Lakers. The Lakers were the best team in the NBA last year and they got better. So I don't think the Blazers have stepped into that sort of championship contender type core, but boy, howdy, is this team good. I think they are a no-brainer is this team better, I should say. I think they're a no-brainer top five team in the West. Um, the 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 West is still really crowded. Uh Denver got worse, but they're still gonna be there. Utah, they stayed about the same. They're gonna look they're gonna look pretty similar and very competitive. The Clippers are gonna be a good regular season team again. Uh like I said, the Lakers are right there. Depending on what happens in Houston, they are talented enough to still be in the mix, although it's unclear kind of what their I mean, their plan is to tear it down, but like what what the timeline for the tearing it down ha- happens. Houston's going to be right there in the mix. Uh, th- these are these are good teams. The Warriors are going to take a step forward this year. They were you know non a non playoff team. Dallas is going to be really good. They probably got a, a, a tiny bit better this year. Uh, Phoenix is is a likely a playoff team. Like this, there's the West is super crowded, and still with all that. I think this is a top five team. I think this is a team that can compete for a top three seed in the West. I think this is a team that could be um, could have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. And kind of the way the Western Conference works, if you have home court advantage in round one, you've got a chance. See the Blazers in 2019. They put themselves in the right spot. Home court advantage worked out for them. Hell, they had to go on the road in round two and win a game seven. But but they put themselves. You just want to have home court advantage. You put yourself in the right spot. This was a this was a fun and intriguing offseason. I am much more excited about this team than I have been in a few years. Uh, the the 2018-19 roster was uh, was probably equally intriguing in terms of depth, but we were so familiar with the players at that point that it wasn't um, as easy to get excited. Players got new shiny parts. Rocco, Derek Jones Jr., the return of Rodney Hood, the year three breakout of Gary Trent Jr., Nurk in a full healthy season. Like They've got shiny new parts that makes me more excited than I've been about it um this roster in a while i'm ready to get it going and as proof that people around the league are excited about this team i was on locked on nba this week which you can find wherever you get podcasts just search locked on nba it's the the overarching league podcast run by our network i was on there talking about the moves uh with josh lloyd the host of locked on nba so check out that podcast for more on on this team uh we got mailbag monday coming up on monday as we do each week on this show if you want to get involved in that Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Plenty of questions. To, I'm sure you got this week. Hopefully I answered some of them here. Like I said, if you didn't listen to the Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood podcast talking about the other additions prior to these three I mentioned on this show, make sure you check out that. We've got Blazers had a fun offseason. They got better. There's more to come. And we'll cover all of that right here on Lockdown Blazers. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.